Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. Today, I have with me Dale Spilker, who is one of our Weld.com advisors and an instructor from Virginia. Dale, why don't you go ahead and tell them a little bit about yourself um, being a teacher and just what you're doing right now? Okay. Um, first off, I'd like to thank everybody that, uh, that watches the videos and comes to the forum. I feel like a lot of the forum comments I'm making, so come see me on the forum, please. Um, so first off, you know, obviously, Jeff already said, my name's Dale Spilker. Um, I'm from the Eastern Shore of Virginia, which is the little coastal part of Virginia. Um, live close to the beach. The school that I teach at is T.H. Badger Technical School. Um, it's located at Arcadia High School. My particular school, I see four different or three different high schools primarily. Um, that's who comes to my class. It's not necessarily just a tech school where students come and they take English class at the tech school, they take math class at the tech school and everything like that. They physically get on a bus, come to my school just for welding class, get back on the bus and go back to their home school for the rest of their day. I teach welding level one and welding level two. I've also done some adjunct teaching at my local community college as well. Um, most of the time we're teaching, you know, farm hands and people like that in that particular uh, school. But here at high school, we're teaching a lot of times it's going to be 11th and 12th graders. It's rare that I have a 10th grader come into my program, but sometimes I do. And this year is, I have a perfect example of that. I have two of them in this, my upcoming class. So can you tell us about your welding, welding education and experience? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So I kind of have an interesting, uh, interesting upbringing in the welding world in that I really only decided to go into welding because I'm a skateboarder. Um, and I knew to make skateboard rails, you have to weld them together. And that was my only intentions in taking a welding class. So I'm gonna back up a little bit. And when I was in 10th grade, my guidance counselor brought us in and said, hey, you know, we'd like you to take a, one of the trades courses next year. And it was only because I was like very unsuccessful at school. I was one of those students that if I got a D, it was being hung on the fridge, you know? And um, time for a little commercial break. We want to let you guys know that we just launched our YouTube community, so you can head over to the YouTube channel at weld.com, spelled out W-E-L-D-D-O-T-C-O-M, and click the join button to get exclusive member perks. She brought us in there and decided that, you know, a tech course would probably be the best thing, and I chose building trades initially. And the reason why I chose building trades, working with wood, is because I thought, man, I could make a really cool skateboard ramp for me and all my friends. And I went home and my mom told me, no, you're not going to be a roofer. They, they have to work out in the heat and all that kind of stuff, let alone, she said, you're going to take welding. And I don't, I don't know if she necessarily knew that welding is hot as anything sometimes, but you know, I ended up signing up for welding. And once again, the only reason why I decided to take welding was because I thought, man, I can build a skateboard rail in welding class. And I never built a skateboard rail in welding class, but here I am to this day teaching the same class that I graduated from. I'm in high school. Yeah. So you have worked as a welder, though? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so after I got out of my welding program, I applied for Newport News Shipbuilding Apprentice school. Unfortunately, I didn't get in. Um, I felt like I was in a pretty good position to get in, but like I said, grades in school were not me. Um, so I didn't do very well in school. And they're looking for somebody that really performs in the educational environment, traditional educational environment. Um, so they're looking at your GPA and those kind of normal things to get into that school. But I actually started my career in welding at a local company here on the Eastern Shore. We were um, doing maintenance type work, prefabrication type work um, in chicken plants, chicken processing plants. And I will tell you, um, that job was pretty disgusting. Um, working in a chicken plant was pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. But I did that while I was in high school. And once I got out of high school, like I said, I applied to the front of school. I didn't get in. I went to a company named um, Lee Bear. 
and I started working with them. And you might have seen them on like the History Channel, the Discovery Channel. They make these big, big dump trucks. They make a lot of different things, but I was mainly making these big dump trucks that take up like four or five lanes on a highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for a few years, and I ended up working with that company on their in their cranes division. Um, about maybe 20 or 21 years old is when I started doing that. I got to travel all over Europe, all over the United States. I was their only welder in that position. And I went and worked at a few other positions after that. I worked uh, in the nuclear industry of sorts. I worked for a company named Newport News Industrial. Um, I was a supervisor for them. I worked for a company named um, Steel America. I was a supervisor for them as well. I worked in some safety departments, some training departments. Um, And throughout my whole career, I've been a teacher of sorts. Um, I taught in the industry. I also taught at a community college in Newport News, Virginia, um, called Thomas Nelson Community College. I lived over there for about 10 years. I moved away from high school to work, to weld, um, because there's not really a local industry around me. So when you graduate high school around here, you pretty much have to move if you want to be a welder. Um, It's about two hours from my hometown. Moved over there, started working. I went from there, I would say, and then I ended up coming back and teaching at the same school that I that I graduated from, and I learned how to weld in. So your area specifically, what type of like industry segments and companies are your graduates like mostly looking to get into whenever they leave your program? Okay, um, that's an interesting question. Um, so like I mentioned, in my local area, there's not very much industry that goes on around here. My, my area is notoriously a low-income sort of area. We have um, two chicken plants locally. Students can go there and work maintenance. Um, but we do also have a NASA base close to us. Mm-hmm. Wallops Island, Virginia is very, very close. Um, it's within my school district. Um, and I don't necessarily send welders there. I try to pri- primarily focus on sending students to Newport News Shipbuilding. Um, because I feel like they're one of the largest, they are the largest employer in Virginia um, when it comes to welders, but they also offer the best benefits and the best pay for entry-level welders. There's a few companies local to me that if a student wants to stay here on the eastern shore of Virginia, we'll work with them to get into those companies, but my goal with graduating students from my program is to get them a job that's going to do wonderful things for them, and some of the local companies around here, um, they're good jobs for then and now, but not necessarily somewhere where you would want to spend 10, 15, 20 years at. Right, just to like get your foot in the door somewhere and like get experience under your belt so then you can grow from there. Do any of them, like whenever they're getting ready to graduate, so you're preparing them for graduation, do any of them talk about Like, do they come to you with like, hey, what do you think about like this job? Should I apply for that one? Or do they, are there ones who like want to leave the area? Are they like, I want to get as far away from here as possible? Or are they interested in the pipeline and going to Texas? Like, what kind of do they chase? Are they like looking where they can leave the area, make the most money? Or do they want to go to a specific specific industry? Like, what's kind of like, what are you hearing from the students? Man, it's. It's everything, everything you mentioned. So one of my first assignments in welding one is I I try to assign the students, which I did during COVID, but I generally will assign a student an assignment where they have to research where they want to be in five years, what they want to do. It doesn't have to be welding, but where they want to be in five years. And then they have to find out how much that position pays, how much that job pays, if it requires a college degree, how much money is it going to take to go through college, pretty much plan out their life for the next five years and determine if, let's just say, they want to move to San Diego, notoriously one of the most expensive places in the United States. Mm -hmm. If they want to move there, but they want to be a, um, we'll say a musician, okay, what's the track to get there? Is it, is it realistic? How are you, what are the steps to make, to make it there? And I work with my students a lot in determining that. And throughout, from welding one to welding two, I work with them a ton in doing that. It's not just what they want to do in the welding world. Obviously, I'm teaching them how to weld. I want them to be welders. 
Um, but we we know as instructors, if there's any instructors listening, you guys know, not everybody that you put out of your welding program is going to be a welder. But I just want them to be comfortable that I'm here to help them in whatever they want to do, whether it be in the welding industry or whether they're pursuing a job in law. I have a student now that's going into welding too that wants to do law for for a living. So we'll see how that goes. And I'm, I'm here to help them apply to colleges or whatever it may be, fill out a job application. I actually take my students into my, into my office and we practice job interviews. We do the whole resume thing. Um, when it comes down to it, we apply to jobs towards the end of welding too. And I work with that. It doesn't have to be a welding job. Mm -hmm. um, I just work with a student in getting them a job at McDonald's. You know, it was, it was a local position and it's going to get him from point A to point B for the time being. Um, but that's, that's where he's working. And, you know, I go through the drive through every now and then and see him and he, he seems to enjoy it. And he has a smile on his face. Yeah. That's really nice that you do that. There um, was another instructor, Chris, that we work with. He told me uh, almost the same kind of theme as that being a welding welding instructor is different from being an instructor in just like general education because you're kind of like just teaching your subject. You know, you're just teaching English pretty much or math. And I know that there are probably teachers that do go above and beyond, but I feel like after talking to so many instructors that you guys really get a lot on your shoulders because you see them like whenever you're doing a job, or you're doing something in school that is going to be your job essentially, or it could be, it's, it's thought provoking in the way that it does make them wake up and realize, oh, I'm going to have to apply for a job. How do I do this? And it's like those common skills are not taught in schools. They don't really do that in schools nowadays. They're not teaching life skills, like senior life skills, or, you know, balancing a checkbook, filing your taxes, filling out stuff for student loans if they are going to go to college, um, applying to colleges, visiting campuses, like it kind of like ends up being on the parents and sometimes kids in certain areas don't have that support. You know what I mean? We've talked about that. My school district that we live in is um, like most of it is under the poverty line and they like go based on that in this area. But a lot of kids in this area, I've actually been an assistant coach for my daughter's cross country and track team. And there were, there were kids on the team that they wanted to go to college and not they, I mean, they all have parents. We all have parents, you know, we come from somewhere, but they didn't really have support and they didn't even know how to go about it. And I'm like, you know, we have guidance counselors and they're like, yeah, but I go down there and then they refer me somewhere else. It's, some of them need somebody to sit there and do it with them. So I've been in that position as well. And you told me you have, you know, an interesting story about being put in a situation where obviously you can't just go and out of your way and go above and beyond for every single person that comes in your life, but you have to read, read the situation and know when to intervene and like give back when you can for sure. So why don't you tell everybody about them? Well, you were in. You know, I'd like to hit on some of the things you said. Um, you know, in welding class, like you said, it's not necessarily, we're not just teaching welding. Mm -hmm. With a lot of my students, I realized that, hey, when they leave class, they're going to apply to a job, and a lot of my students are moving away. You know, they have to pay rent. How do you pay rent? A lot of students and a lot of parents, you know, they don't, they don't take the time to sit down and teach their, teach their son or daughter how to do that kind of stuff let alone like how to organize your 401k and things like that. They don't, if your parents don't have a 401k, it's likely they don't understand a 401k. So I take the time out of my welding class to teach them things like that. Um, and how important it is to start those kind of things from day one of employment. It's not necessarily just welding that we teach in a welding program and everybody throughout the country, I'm sure there's programs where they only teach you welding but a welding instructor is much more than just a welding instructor. They teach a lot of real life situations, a lot of real life things. Um, and to hit on the students that I helped most recently, I have several stories um, with students that I've helped. One that really sticks out to me, and if you guys have um, conversated with me on the forum or something like that, you'll notice my profile picture has two individuals in it. One of them is myself and one of them is a former student of mine. 
Um, the former student of mine was in a pretty pretty bad situation in that um, his his family didn't have the financial means to really do much. I mean, I would imagine that in his financial situation, there's times where it's definitely been a struggle to get food on the table. Um, and obviously, it could go much deeper than this in, in particular instances. But if you think about that, that sort of individual doesn't have the resources to apply to a job. We're talking about somebody that doesn't have internet in their house, who didn't have a cell phone, those types of things. So how you might be able to apply to a job, maybe from school or something like that, but how are you even going to get a phone call back to interview? Mm -hmm. Those types of things, let alone like, are, are we going to do a Zoom interview? He did a Zoom interview. You know, and that's something he couldn't necessarily do from home. So when, when the time came, we brought him here. He did a Zoom interview here. But this particular individual, his family, they didn't have a car. They didn't have transportation, those kind of things. And what really bothered me in helping this student um, achieve his goals initially, obviously has much more goals than, uh, than what he's achieved so far, but um, in helping him achieve the goals, we made a GoFundMe for him. And the intentions as an instructor, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to help this kid move. I'm going to have to help him get, get to where he needs to, to have a good welding job. And like I had mentioned previous, this is two or three hours from me. Um, he's working at Newport News Shipbuilding now. Mm -hmm. um, but to help this kid, I was planning on paying for his move, paying for whatever he needed out of my pocket. I was just, I was willing to do whatever I had to do to help this student. Um, and I'm, I'm that way with any student. Just that particular year, I only had one student that was in this financial situation that I knew of, at least. Um, but I started to go fund me for him. And I expected this GoFundMe to only get you know, maybe a hundred dollars from like maybe my mom and my parents donating. Mm -hmm. But this thing blew up. It went, I mean, I think we got over $3,200 mm -hmm. to help him move. And if anybody's been in the situation to move, it takes a good bit of that to move. Mm -hmm. And now if you think of an individual coming from, I mean, let your imagination run, coming from a household that doesn't necessarily have a lot of resources, it's not like he has two couches sitting at home where we can take one of them and bring it to his apartment. He wasn't in that position, you know, so a lot of those things we had to purchase. And that's where this GoFundMe money helped. It was amazing to see the community, to see former graduates of the program donating money, um, to see individuals that are in his graduating class donating money. And you can expect, I mean, some donations were in the hundreds of dollars. Some donations were three or four dollars. And you can expect that those individuals that only donated three or four dollars, I mean, that was probably all the money they had to donate and they they chose to help this individual achieve his goal so it's really important as a welding instructor to listen to your students and listen to their goals and help them work towards those goals whether it be in welding or they want to pursue a rap career or whatever it may be you know we're here as a resource but that particular student um he went from you know never having a job he didn't have transportation in high school to make it to a job reliably um but he started a position. He has his own apartment now. He's making um, probably around $21 or $22 an hour now, which is very impressive based off of the position that he was in. He has full benefits, um, everything of those sorts. And eventually, maybe even currently, he's going to be a resource to help his family out and help his family hopefully get, get above where they were living. Right. And at least be, you know, an inspiration to you know, I'm not sure if he had siblings or, you know, anything like that, or even just even a neighbor, a cousin, anybody younger who's in that situation can look up to him and hopefully he will speak to that at some point, you know, whenever he is in a position where, you know, he shares his story, maybe he's going to be on an interview at some point and maybe he would say, you know, there, you know how common question that interviewers ask right. is who was the most influential person in your life or you know where what helped you get to where you are that he's going to remember that and by saying that like it'll hopefully make him want to pay it forward one day whenever he's in a position to or just to share his story so that people realize you're not in a position forever you know a lot of situations are very temporary even though 
a lot of people mentally, it's challenging to think you're ever going to be able to get out. You just got to make little steps and a little progress every day to get to where your end goal is. You can't just snap your fingers usually and get there. But I mean, speaking about it is huge. Right, exactly. And I mean, this individual, um, he's not necessarily somebody that would really open up to anyone. I feel like I only know about 20% of him as a person. But um, that's one thing that I did stress to him was, look, you, you're never going to have to pay anybody back that's donated this money. You're never going to have to pay me back for any of my time or any money that I've given you. But what I want you to do is remember this. And at some point in your life, it could be a year from now, or it could be 30 years from now. When you're presented a situation to help somebody, it's very important that you get your hands in, no matter how inconvenient it may be at that time, but to help those individuals. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very important. And in the welding industry, if you think about it, when your students go out on the job site, you know, or you go out on the job site coming out of a welding school, you receive help from people every single day, whether it be just lifting something up on a piece of scaffolding or whether it be to help you out with a particular well, you're gonna receive help from individuals every single day. Um, pay that back, help people out within the industry, help people out that just may, may need a little extra help. And this doesn't mean, you know, go give all your money to the homeless guy on the corner, but when the situation presents itself and you deem it necessary, give them a hand. And to kind of back that up, when I started this GoFundMe, um, of course, I posted it on Facebook, posted it everywhere I could think of, like every group that I was a part of on Facebook, I posted it in. Some of them received some attention, some of them didn't. Mm -hmm. One of the ones that did receive attention was I'm a part of this welding rigs group on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those individuals in that group had a lot of negative comments about the GoFundMe. You know, they said, you know, wow, I'm just go get a job and stuff like that, you know, and without really going into details with it. They just didn't understand the situation. Um, and that would have been a perfect opportunity. And believe me, several of those individuals did step up to the plate. But that would have been the perfect opportunity to step forward and help somebody and just stop. Stop thinking, you know, you're the baddest welder on earth. You know, you're, you're the uh, cockiest dude on earth. And, you know, say something negative to somebody in those situations. You know, it was kind of funny seeing that post on there and hit. Oh, believe me, at that time, I was really, really hot. But uh, looking back on it now, I just think it's kind of funny. And it's reflective of what the industry is in some degree. Unfortunately, there are people who just, listen, if you didn't, if you came from nothing, chances are you're going to have to work twice as hard to get somewhere. You know, if exactly. that's, it's, that's a really huge thing. And it's, you know, being older and, you know, watching my kids and being, you know, on the you know, a coach and right. being in different roles in the welding industry. And I'm actually a really big part of these women welding groups. Oh, of course. Women welders and stuff. And that's been a passion of mine for, you know, over 10 years that I've been in the welding industry is just that I would constantly see these posts with these girls that they were, you know, posting, you know, their selfies are really proud of what they've done. Like I'm the only girl in my welding shop class. And I started throwing down welds and my teacher says they're better than any of the boys and whatever. And these girls like start to get confidence in their welding ability, but then they would go and um, apply for jobs and they would post that um, they can't get anybody to give them an interview. Well, I would post, you know, Hey, is anybody open to hiring a woman welder? And I would get some of those comments like, why does it have to be about girls? And, you know, even during Women's History Month, I like made some posts about, you know, promoting women in welding, like me. And then we would get people that would say, why isn't there a, um, a Men's History Month? And it's like, really? Like, you guys, like, really calm down. That's not what it was supposed to be about. We're trying to talk about somebody who does have you know, problems in the industry and like, how do they get started? And I think that some of them kind of get butthurt a little bit because maybe they, it was hard for them in the beginning and somebody didn't help them, but it's also some of them are stubborn and won't take the help. And then whenever they look back on it, maybe they did have the opportunity for help, but they wanted to be 
cocky and get there by themselves so then they could say they did it on themselves but not everybody can do that we're all not the same person you know somebody needs a hand every once in a while and the the attitude is the thing for me what that's what it gets down to is having a good attitude being no matter what level of education you're in or your position at your job because we talked about this I think Cliff and I talked about this. Whenever you're, you know, a new welder and you're coming to a job and it's like your first couple days and you do need help, you get those like cranky old men who don't want to help and they're kind of trying to feel you out to see if you're going to stick around and they don't want to waste their time helping you because they might have high turnover at that company. But my thing is, if you're understaffed and you're overworked, your back hurts, you're working extra shifts, they can't get enough welders to do these jobs, and it's hard on you, aren't you just going to maybe get a little bit further if you would just be nice to everybody and helpful, and maybe it would make them want to stay? Sometimes the turnover is coming because they're not getting, they feel like they don't want them there. So, I mean, if I go to a new job and I show up and everybody's being a jerk to me, nobody wants to help me and they just want to point out what I'm doing wrong or just like let me do something wrong all day long, I'm not going to want to stay at that company. Like, I'm going to want to stay somewhere where there's a good culture, it's a team effort, you have support, you have, you know, somebody who's going to take you under their wing. So, I'm sure that you have stuff to say about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely very interesting. And believe me, I feel like I feel like when I first en- entered the industry, I was your typical normal welder. I was as cocky as anything. Some might say I'm still that way. But um, you know, and there there is a time where when somebody new comes to your crew or your job or wherever you may be working, that yeah, you gotta feel them out a little bit and understand can can they take a little bit of you giving them a little bit of crap? You know, those kind of things do happen. But in the end, what, what it's about is helping an individual get better because when you're in that situation and you're welding on a crew, you get a new person and they might suck at first just because they're brand new to the industry. What you need to do is you need to think back because in your career, there's been a time where somebody helped you, where somebody helped you get better and you still use that advice they gave you to this day. So there's a time that you need to step up to the plate and realize, look, this individual, if I give them this little bit of advice or everybody gives them a little piece of advice to help them get better, all they're going to do is help my team get better, therefore help us get better, and the work is going to become easier for me. Yeah. Because this individual is here. And I mean, to back you up on the women, I mean, I'm sorry to tell all the guys in the welding industry, because I think it's over 70% of the welding industry is, is men. Mm-hmm. I hate to tell you guys, um, women are coming and they are really, really good welders. Every single one I've ever had that's worked for me or that I've ever taught has been absolutely the best in the class or the best on the crew. And I, I mean, there's tons of things that I feel that contribute to that, but women in the welding industry, I mean, that is the way of the future. Women are generally more meticulous. They listen to instructions. Generally speaking, this is a little bit better than men do um and when it comes down to welding they're very meticulous they do a really really good job i have two female students right now i think i have several more coming into my welding one class and i will tell you they're some of the fastest learners and they're some of the best welders i've ever had throughout my career as an educator or even as my time as a supervisor or a welder they're some of the best welders i've ever seen so when it comes to this um, beginning, like hazing kind of, so to speak, with like a new person who just came onto the job, please tell me that you weren't making somebody catch sparks in a bucket. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Definitely sent people. And I mean, <laughs> there's some individuals that pop in my head immediately, you know, sending them for uh, a bucket of argon, sending them for a, um, a ID10T form. You know, and it's natural in the welding industry. It's natural in the trade. You know, you just want something to laugh at. And those things, as long as you don't take extreme offense to it or those individuals aren't extremely mean to you, 
those things are going to help you grow as a team in that team environment and make you guys better. It's something that you can laugh at a week, a week down the line. Right. Yeah. Because once they realize what they're doing. Right. Right. Exactly. And believe me, um, the guys, when I first got my welding job here on the Eastern shore, when I worked for that company in those chicken plants, they messed with me to, to no end. I mean, my nickname was Pony with those guys. They would send me for fake tools and everything. <laughs> and I'm, I'm the kind of individual that I don't like. I don't like to get beat or proven wrong. So I am going to try to find that fake tool to no end. And there's been times where I worked for them where I went for some fake tool in the work truck and I spent an hour looking for this fake tool. And yeah, I was probably an idiot back then, but I spent an hour looking for who knows what it was. Maybe we'll just say it's a sky hook. Looking for that. And then I come back to the job site and the boss is there and he's kind of like, where the heck have you been? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm looking for a tool. I'm not going to throw the other guys under the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, believe me. That's right? the test I feel like most often. Oh, yeah. They're trying to see, are you going to snitch us out or not? And if you don't, then okay, come here. I'll show you how to TIG weld, buddy. <laughs> and I, I will tell you, man, when when I went home from those jobs, we primarily at the time worked on the weekends. I would go home and I would think, man, these dudes are jerks. I hate these people. And a few weeks down the line, once again, you know, they started to help me and I started to see that, yeah, they might've been a jerk to me at that point in time, but they really meant well, you know, and those kind of things, it, it really helped me be a tougher human. And it really helped me understand, you know, people on a job site, because at that point in time, all of those individuals, I mean, they were all retirement age, you know, so they had been, been, been there, seen it all. They just, you know, fresh meat came to the crew and they wanted to mess around a little bit. Yeah, um, a little entertainment at your expense. And it's helped me. I mean, I'm, it's helped me because if nobody messed with me, then then when I went to the next job, when I actually, I, I say, was physically started in, in my welding career, this is after I graduated high school, started at a company named Lee Bear. You know, all those tricks that people would try to do, like sending you for a sky hook or a left-handed adjustable wrench or a left-handed chip and hammer, you know, I had heard all of them. So I would just say, yeah, right, man, I know that trick. So right. it, it helped me in the long run, how ridiculous it may sound. But it definitely helped me in that respect. And I hate I hate that part of the industry because it's, it's bullying. Bullying is bad. But it's, it also brings some good into the industry as well. You know, being able to mess with somebody, being able to stick in your skin, we'll say, that helps out a lot. I'm actually going to make a post and put it on Instagram and I'm going to say, what are some fake things that you've had to do starting out a new job? So then we can put a little lesson so then we can prepare the students before they leave. So then they can be like, ha, nice try. <laughs> and I'll tag all the guys in it that have popped in my head right now. I'll tag all them in it. And I'm sure they'll come up with some ridiculous things that I've sent them for in the past. That's funny. So being that you were that beginner level welder and then like you went on the job site what was something that like you were shocked like that you thought you were ready for from school but then like when you went to really work it was like completely different or something that like you were not prepared for at all do you know what I mean because we all know that we talk about that school doesn't prepare you to go out there and be like I'm the best welder ever it's really a beginner type thing no matter what level of welding class you're taking you're not going to be the best until you get experience and you always have to be willing to learn but what were some of the things that stuck out to you like oh shit I don't know how to do that so what's funny is in my welding class and and there may end up being a bunch of a uh, bunch of people that graduated welding with me that might chime in on this but I feel like in well in welding class I was one of the better welders some might say the best in the class. So, of course, natural welding thing, you get pretty cocky. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, this is something I'm really good at. I'm probably the best in the world at this. So, I, I, um, like I said, I worked at that chicken plant job. I don't necessarily count that as my first welding job because I had a lot to learn there. But my first mm -hmm. welding job at, 
after high school, I started working for a company named Lee Bear. And when I entered that company, the individual that was training me, I was the only person in training at that time. That individual told me that he completed the training program in four weeks. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh man, you know, I'm the best welder ever. I can beat that. So of course, I, I went through the training program and I put myself on thin ice at some time. You know, we could take three tests and if we took that third one and failed it, then we were done. They were walking us out and I made it to that third test a few times. Um, just because I was cocky and wanted to try to get things done as fast as possible. And in doing so, I ended up beating his record. But, and that, that added, you know, it blew my head up. I was huge. And when I went into, onto the shop floor, I thought that when I got to the shop floor that I was going to be one of the best people on the shop floor. Mm -hmm. And I got humbled so freaking quick. I was the worst welder in the shop, <laughs> the worst one. And I'm looking around, you know, I, I'll do a weld or whatever it may be, finish a little project that I was, that I'm supposed to do that, that day or that night. It was working third shift at that time. So finish something that night, the supervisor comes by and inspects it and he marks it up something bad. Like we're talking about almost painted it, that particular color, that marker he was using. And once again, yeah, he might have been picking on me, but it was only to make me better. And the well probably did look bad, you know, to their standards. And those are the times as a welder that you need to step back and, and learn from the people around you, you know, and don't, don't put it out there like you think that you're the best. Because obviously at that point in time, I definitely wasn't the best. I was horrendous. But that gave me drive and that gave me motivation to say, okay, I did it once, you know. In my welding class, I went from not knowing anything to being one of the better ones in the class. You know, I can do this again, and I can do that in this shop. And I eventually worked, worked up to those points, not necessarily the best one in the, in the shop, but I was definitely a go-to guy within that shop at that time. Um, so it takes a lot, yeah. I would say. So Did was I it your a question? certain process? Huh? Do you think it was a certain process or do you think that it was just like the expectation of being able to just go lay it down and it like look like what it was supposed to look like? Or was it like, so here's, oh, here's what I would think I'm getting at. So whenever you're in school, you know how you're doing all these short welds and right. then you go out and you have like a 20 foot long weld you have to do, or then you're not the spaces you have to get into the just like the environment you're right. in. So like, what do you think like is so different after school versus going to a job? Oh man, I would, I mean, one of the main things is just the time that you have to weld. You know, being in a high school welding program, you're, I would say probably max throughout the country, people are getting four hours a day. Mm -hmm. You know, some programs are only getting an hour and a half a day. Um, there are some schools, some post-secondary schools that offer eight-hour welding classes. Um, but just welding for eight hours and understanding that, hey, you're going to have a, a, a T-joint or something in front of you that might not only take you 30 minutes like it did in school, it's going to take you eight hours to finish it. Mm -hmm. You know, and planning that particular weld in your head, you know, in school, it's pretty easy because it's abbreviated. You're doing half-inch welds, five-eighth welds. Some schools may end up going up to an inch weld on a fillet weld, but in the industry, you might end up having, having a weld that's going to take you just eight hours to end up completing. Mm -hmm. You know, so one of the, that's a big thing. And then also, um, like I said, in my area, you pretty much have to move to your welding job. Um, there's not many local places where you can live at home and go and weld and then come back um, to the house you grew up in. That was a big adjustment too, moving. Um, I, I live in a pretty rural area. I grew up on an island. Um, so seeing somewhere that has four lanes going down the road was kind of crazy. Um, so it's not necessarily just the welding that it, uh, that the adjustment, it was pretty much the whole thing of making that step into the welding industry. Um, like I said, I, I got humbled right off the bat, but there were plenty of other things that took some time to get adjusted to paying bills and things like that on my own. That was something different. 
So who has been most influential to you as far as um, like your career, like who has helped you get to where you are, you think? Okay. Um, man, there's so many names that come to mind. Um, I wish we could have like a credits roll at the end of this. There's, there's several individuals that have helped me a ton. Um, one individual when I was at Lee Bear's name is Bob Poirier. He helped me out a whole bunch um, throughout my welding career. There's been individuals that I've worked with for maybe only six months that have helped me grow as not only a welder, but as a human. But I would probably say the number one person in my welding career was my welding instructor. Um, his name was Glenn Muley. Um, he was, at the time, he was an older guy. He was an iron worker um, for a living before he became a welding instructor. Um, and he was one of those instructors in school, you know, going through school, being a poor performer on a lot of things like I was in school. I was not very good at traditional school. Um, bottom of my class, to say the best, I did horrible in school. So coming into welding class and having a teacher talk to you like a real human instead of like a teacher-student situation, where we've all probably been in those situations where some teachers aren't necessarily the most encouraging teachers, where they favor the, te the students that have the highest GPA in the class. Mm -hmm. um, but walking into a welding, a welding shop with a welding instructor, it was different because he taught us all right from the get-go, like we were welders. That's just what he treated us like. And that kind of opens it up to how I became a welding instructor um, instead of just a normal welder because like I've explained in the, in the welding industry, you know, I was a supervisor at a young age. I've had some, some pretty impressive positions throughout my career. Um, you know, why on earth would I accept a welding instructor job paying, you know, a third of what I could make in the industry? Um, it's all because of him. And what he did for us was, like I said, he talked to us like we were real people. Mm -hmm. um, which is very, very important. I feel like all welding instructors do that. But he also encouraged us as well and talked to us in real life circumstances. Like, like, look, what, what do you want to do for a living? Like I said, you know, I wanted to do art or something like that. And he really sat me down and said, you know, hey, that's not necessarily the most realistic thing. You know, how many artists do you actually know that make money while they're alive? Is one thing that he said to me. And it was, you know, that was probably the turning moment. And when I was in 11th grade, um, I was a special ed student throughout high school. Like I said, very poor performer. I made a bet with him that I would end up um, taking his job. It was a $100 bet. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure when he made that bet, he probably thought, yeah, right, this kid's never coming back, never going never gonna to really amount to anything. In reality, if I talk to him, he'd probably say, no, I knew it from the get-go. Who knows? Mm -hmm. um, I made a $100 bet with him. And... At that time, did I want to be a, a teacher? No, because I hated most of my teachers. I never thought I would be a welding instructor. Never thought I would come back into a high school after walking out with my, with my degree, barely walking out with my degree. Um, I never thought I would come back into a high school or a community college or anything in that respect. Um, but I started to participate in SkillsUSA competitions as a judge. And that really opened, opened my eyes to other welding instructors throughout the state and then welding students in general. I mean, they all, all they want to do is do the best that they absolutely can. And that's something that I can really honor in a student. So I would come back to my school, judge welding competitions and stuff like that. And I had an opportunity with that guy, Bob, that I mentioned at Lee Bear. They were looking to start a welding training program at a local community college. And he came to me as one of his first people to see if I would be interested in, 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 in assisting with that. I taught it, co-taught it with another guy named Ryan Foster. Um, but he came to us first to see if we would be interested in that. And keep in mind, at this time, I was probably 19 years old. And I thought, you know, what in the world? You want me to teach somebody? how to weld and but in reality at that time I was teaching people on the floor that had just come out of training you know those kind of things I was helping out wherever I could helping anybody um and he saw that in me and he offered me that position in helping teach that community college class and that really introduced me to teaching and that's where 
that that particular opportunity is where I determined, you know, man, I, this is something I really want to do for a living. And every career move that I've made since then has always been for, oh man, I think this will be a good opportunity for me to get an experience. So when I become a teacher, I can talk talk to this and talk about this. That every single career move that I've made in the welding industry has been based on that, you know, becoming a teacher one day and being able to talk to this or talk to this portion of the industry, whatever it may be. Um, but several years went by, it was probably 12 or 13 years of coming back to my school and judging these competitions. Obviously, I developed more and more and more and more and more of a relationship with my welding instructor, and we would joke every time. It was probably three years before I actually took the welding, the welding instructor position here. Um, that, and keep in mind, I taught at several different locations. I taught throughout the industry and stuff like that. So I had some teaching experience. But I bought a frame for a $100 bill. Um, not necessarily a $100 bill, but I bought a frame that was for like a dollar bill or a $100 bill, whatever. And I showed it to him and I said, you know, this is for that, for that $100 bet that we made. And I don't even think he remembered making the bet. Mm -hmm. um, and three years down the line after that, you know, he called me and said, hey, I'm, I'm retiring. Are, are you really like 100% interested in taking this position? And it wasn't the mon money that motivated yeah. me. It wasn't winning the bet that motivated me. I knew that I wanted to be a welding instructor at that point in time. But you know, this was my opportunity to take that $100 from him. And I sure enough did. He paid up on it. <laughs> and um, I have that $100 in that same frame that I showed him three years previous. I literally kept it in, in my car until I put that $100 in it. Um, and I have that $100 frame that sits in, my, uh, sits in my welding office here at the shop at all times. It's, well, it's actually in my truck now. It's summertime, I was concerned somebody would take it. But it stays here. I show it to all my students. They know it. And it's here for the next student that makes that bet with me. Yeah, that's funny. That's really cool. Them, that's for sure. So what do you think, as far as like the welding industry as a whole, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing our industry? Like we all know about the shortage of welders, but like why? That's, that's a good question. Um, the biggest challenge in the industry. Obviously, this, this, this is a pretty localized question. So, you know, what is the basic challenges in your local area? What are the basic challenges in, uh, in the nation in general? And I would just say, um, well, let me, fill, let, me, let me back to this real quick. So I think one of the biggest challenges for a welding student entering the welding industry mm -hmm. is when they apply to a welding job and that job comes back and says, uh, you're not hired. For whatever reason it may be, most of the time they don't even give you a reason, but they say you're not hired. That welding student applies to another job. Then they come back and sometimes they don't even tell you you're not hired. They just don't even, mm -hmm. who knows where your application went. We've all applied to jobs like that. But it's staying encouraged after that. I feel like there's a lot of welding students that graduate a welding program and they apply to that first job, they apply to that second job, they apply to that third job, and they don't hear anything from any of them. Now, how encouraging is that for that particular student in the welding industry? Does it look like the welding industry wants people in, in it? No. Especially the entry level the entry level student, it doesn't necessarily. Now there are companies that are very, very open to an entry level person coming in. They'll train you from the ground up. There's companies out there that will do that. But smaller mom and pop, smaller businesses, they can't afford to do that. They can't afford to have a, a welder that doesn't have experience working on something that, that a paying customer is, is coming in their door and is gonna take. Um, so that's one of the biggest things, the biggest challenges for a welding student entering the industry. And yeah, our manning might be in relation to that. Like you mentioned, you know, there's a shortage of welders. Is that shortage of welders because there's more welding work? Or is it just because welders don't necessarily want to go into the welding industry? They want to do something different. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But I feel like that, that particular accepting an entry-level welder into your company 
is a huge is a huge benefit to the welding industry. Um, and I feel like that companies that don't do that, that's that's why you have a manning issue. Right. They're not willing to hire those entry level students. Not to mention, most times those students have a longer tenure with your company than a more experienced person coming in. Those types of things are generally more loyal, but yes, it is going to take some time for them to turn a profit for you. That's for sure. Yeah, because you're going to have the risk of mistakes. Right. You know, like we, we talk about that all the time that you know you do it right because you do it twice you have to have those opportunities where you do something and then you got to go gouge it out start over again or that slice of humble pie where you thought it looked great and the inspector comes over and marks it up and you got to go back and rework certain areas or tear it apart start over again but how are you going to get there like that you need that bridge so it's almost like there are a lot of welding companies who should be allocating money towards those, okay, you're out of school. Let's not just throw you on a job where you're going to cause it to be reworked a whole bunch. Like maybe they should have training on the job, so to speak, but before they put them on a project where it's going to um, affect lead time, like where they're going to be late with a project or where it's going to be messed up or something like that. There have to be more opportunities for learning on the job. Right. And a lot of this comes from, you know, we'll, we'll use the smaller company for an example. If a smaller company, if the owner of the company, and keep in mind, this, this takes a lot. I mean, if you own a company, you're working from sun up to sundown and then some. But if you get involved in a local school to you and just maybe go visit that school once every three or four months and talk to the students and stuff like that, that welding instructor of that program is going to learn what are you looking for in a welder? What do you want your, your employees to do? So that's going to help you in the long run as an employer receive students that know what you want right off the bat. You know, that develops that relationship with students themselves and then also that welding instructor. So a lot of that really, really helps, especially if you're a company that's struggling for manning in a, in a smaller role area or whatever it may be. You don't have the money to spend. You don't have the money to make up for a, a large mistake that an uh, entry-level welder makes that maybe he welded all day thinking he was doing the right thing. You know, and you just, you didn't check on him because you were, you're, you're trying to run a company. You know, you're busy. You just assume that he was doing right um, or she was doing right. Yeah. I think that the project thing is a huge thing as well. Oh, that for sure depending on the area, like I know Cliff can speak to this, they actually have at their program in Michigan, um, different kinds of customers like in the area, like agricultural stuff or rusty this or that with like a hole in something. And like, they say like, Hey, can you do this? And then he gets those projects and says like, here, here's a job was presented to us. If you owned a little business, this is what you would be faced with we're going to work on this today. This is what we're going to do. And he kind of lets that flexibility be in his program to entertain those jobs so that it's more real life experience, like doing projects. So you, I know you have some projects that you guys do there. What are some like projects you have, like your level students, like the ones that are getting ready to graduate? Do you guys do like things like, so they're more real life based instead of just like plates, like small welds? Oh, of course. I mean, we do a lot of that, that fillet welds and butt welds. We do a ton of that. But I do try to bring in a little bit of project-based learning in my program. Um, so before I became an instructor, I started a company myself. It was going to be a welding business, stuff like that. But when I became an instructor, a lot of those calls that I get for welding, if it's appropriate, I try to bring that into the school and have that benefit the school you know, monetarily, and then also have that benefit my students, more so my students, mm -hmm. because they get that experience of, you know, cleaning paint before they have to weld and those kind of things. Some things that I also incorporate into the program, we build little projects and stuff like that, but Skills USA is another huge one. Um, being able to participate in taking former Skills USA competitions, welding projects, and having my students complete those in class. Or maybe it could be just a little interesting key joint that I have my students do in class, packed underneath of the table or something like that. That really helps develop them. 
But one of the things, one of the largest feedbacks that I received as an instructor about my students in the industry is that they were really, really weak on fabrication skills. So what I started to do was I started to incorporate much more of these fabrication projects in the level two class. Um, and it could be something as simple as a little address sign for your house, a little garden flag holder that requires you to tap, drill and tap a hole and have something fit flush. Those types of things are something that you normally really don't get in a traditional welding program or in a state curriculum that it's really the welding instructor's job to bring that into the program. Mm -hmm. um, so like I said, it all really depends on the demographics of the students that I have that year. Um, I base my projects off of that, but I do bring in a ton of different projects. I'm always looking for different things. Here at the school, um, we have some cheaper desks in all of the normal classrooms, like the English classes, the math classes, history, and they end up having welds on them or metal pieces that break a bunch. So we bring some of those desks into the welding classes and do repairs on them, put like custom fabricated pieces in with like a piece of square stock that's been twisted. So when the students go to those classes, they can say, oh man, I did that, you know, or their friend says, oh dude, did you know some, one of, one of my buddies that's been welding did this. You know, it's something that they can brag to other students about. And then it also gives them that real world experience because as welders, we know, um, it, a lot of money comes from little side hustles that you do, maybe repairing a mower deck for somebody or, you know, fixing a fence. A lot of money that you're going to make in the welding industry comes from those little side hustles. So a lot of my project-based learning, I try to circle back to what could my students potentially do at home with minimal resources, with just your base, most basic, you know, welding equipment, what could they do at home and end up making a really healthy side hustle for themselves? So a lot of these side projects, the project-based learning that I do here is based off of that and instilling that in their head of thinking that, you know, it's not just a nine to five job welding. You can make money on the side doing this as well. Right. Do you want to share with everybody about your side hustle? <laughs> um, so like I said, I, I started a fabrication business, probably a welding and fabrication business about maybe four years ago. It might be four years on the dot, about four years ago um, now. And it was, you know, who knows what I was trying to do when I started it. It was basically just a welding, a welding business. And my idea was to do fabrication work, repair, those kind of things. Um, I kind of grew in that and trying to find a niche in the industry and I started to build um, a lot of furniture that incorporated metal pieces um, and a lot of woodworking was associated with that as well. That was doing well. I was going to craft fairs and stuff like that trying to hustle that kind of stuff, taking orders for things and keep in mind I was doing a lot of repair work then as well with some friends and um, the business never really got to the point where it was making, you know, more than my full-time job at that point in time. And I ended up buying a wood lathe off of Craigslist. And I only did this because I thought, you know, hey, I could, I could probably clean this thing up and sell it for a profit so I could put that money into more projects that I want to make and sell. And I posted it on Facebook. Friend of mine, he's a decoy carver. I live in a big waterfowl hunting area. I live right right on the water. Um, he said, man, the only thing I ever made on a wood lathe was a duck call. So I said, oh man, before I get rid of this thing and sell it, I'm going to try to make a duck call. So the first one that I made, you know, ended up selling. And it's kind of funny. It ended up selling to a guy that had completed the same welding program as me after I did. And that's just, that goes back to showing support for people in the welding industry. Mm -hmm. um, he ended up buying my first one and I say that's right where it started because one sold I'm going to make another one and sell it and make another one and make another one and now it's to the point where I mean it's a it's a full-time business on its own you know I still hand make duck calls I still do all of that in my garage I bought a CNC um, laser machine so I do now do laser engraving and stuff like that on the duck calls it's kind of grown from there and I, I really didn't start the business well, I did with the intentions of like an end goal of having my own welding company, but it's just kind of funny where it's gone since then. If you would have asked me five years ago, 
um, would I have ever thought that I would be a duck call maker? There's no chance I would have said, yeah, I definitely see, could see that in my future. No chance at all. Um, but that's one of those things, you know, it, it just came, it was on my lap and I, I saw the money at the time and it's really something that I enjoy outside of the welding industry. Um, I really enjoy wood turning and uh, making things. Obviously, I'm a welder, so I enjoy making things in general, but uh, making things out of wood and stuff like that is really, really good. You can check out my uh, my business. You can follow me on Instagram and stuff like that. The business name is High Tide Fabrication. Um, kind of funny fabrication, but we only do woodworking now. Yeah, um, fine. Yeah, it's high underscore tide underscore fabrication. You know, one thing that I saw that you make on there that I really love, and I always fall for it, and I always buy them. They're super expensive by me at the little, like, craft shows. Like, there's an Apple Festival my kids and I go to. Usually, I think it should be coming up the end of August or early September. Right. I always do this apple baking contest. Uh-huh. I won second place before, a couple years ago, before COVID. I made these apple pie um muffins or something like that I think Uh but anyway they had these cutting boards like those really cool cutting boards that are with all the different kinds of pieces of wood and then it had like that dark lacquer on it and my handle broke on it and I was like so upset I was like man I paid a lot of money for that probably more than I should admit oh man it was like 80 bucks yeah you know I do a lot of those things and it's kind of funny when I first started selling duck hauls I, I sold the first one for like $30. It might have even been lower than that. And if, if the guy that bought it chimes in on this, I'd be curious to know. Um, but I used to sell them for $30. And now I sell them for, you know, sometimes over $200 each. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of amazing how, how it's grown. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I do make a lot of things. Um, the laser side of my business, and it's kind of interesting that we're having this conversation now. The laser engraving side of my business and laser cutting, you know, those ornaments and stuff like that, is starting to overtake the duck call. So we're seeing mm-hmm. a transition in my business again to where the duck calls aren't necessarily the big portion of my business. Um, in reality, they're a large portion of the business right now, but I mean, maybe two years down the line, it's not going to be the largest portion of the business, you know. Um, but yeah, you can also, um, to plug myself really quick, a shameless plug, my um, company's Facebook page, I feel like I do a horrible job of keeping that updated, but you can follow me on Instagram directly, um, and it's at shoot a photo um, on Instagram. You can also friend me on Facebook. Um, I'll accept everybody as long as it looks like you're not a fake person on Facebook. <laughs> um, you know, I... I'm very open to the welding community and that's, it's not necessarily just because I want you to buy something, you know, I want to see what you're doing. I want to see those projects. And that's one thing that I try to encourage on the forum as well. You know, show me a picture of your shop, show me a picture of your equipment, show me a picture of your welds. Those are the kind of things that I like to see. And obviously just people following me or friending me or whatever it may be. I'm not a big self promoter, but I like to keep my network bigger. I, on Facebook, I post job opportunities all the time, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. I'd love to see what opportunities you might have. I'll repost those, all those types of things. It's just networking. Right, for sure. I love seeing little projects and stuff like that. I know that I've bought a lot of stuff off of different people's like Etsy stores. Um, yeah, I have an Etsy shop. Well. Um, I, gosh, what is the link? It's uh, Etsy.com. Um, slash shop, slash high tide fabrication, all one word. You can go on there and check it out. Um, Sometimes we have low inventory. Like I said, it's probably best just to friend me directly on Facebook, Dale Eric Silker, or um, follow me on Instagram at shoot a photo to see those things that I have in process that aren't necessarily for sale yet. Yeah, you might have to look into those cutting boards a really big thing right now that I see like is like trending on Instagram and TikTok is that you can make those cutting boards and then people are really into that resin right now, the different kind of resin and you get like a air, like an air gun and oh, you yeah. kind of make it look like a beach. Like you can make it look like the water. If you put the blue, different shades of blues 
and then you put the water and you blow it and it can make it look like ripples and like that foam effect on it. I'll send you a picture of one because I really want one. It's funny. We actually <laughs> we make those, um, but we don't necessarily, we don't have them posted on our Etsy shop and stuff like that. Um, we work with a few retailers local and we supply them at their shop, but we make those. We can get you one. Okay, I'll send you a picture. They're not necessarily the most food safe uh, items in your kitchen, but. That's okay. I just want it for decoration. Yeah, they're really cool. And we can engrave them and all that kind of stuff, all that jazz. All right. Well, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. I think that this should be helpful for, um, I think that this will interest a lot of different instructors and what I want to do is I do want to put out a call for any other welding instructors from different areas of the country. And also we're looking for students, like the ones that have graduated and now you're out in, you know, you're doing your welding job. I'm really interested in talking to some of you just to see, you know, how you've transitioned from being in school to welding and yeah, if you're interested in be, being a guest host on the podcast, reach out to me. You can email me at jessicam at weld.com or you can just message us on Instagram. It's just at weld.com. It's spelled out W-E-L-D-D-O-T-C-O-M. And you can just message me and catch me on there. But um, Dale, I really appreciate this. It was good. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for Thanks for having me. And once again, everyone, you know, I want to hear from you guys. Please, you know, if you have an issue with anything, reach out to me directly, post on the forum, um, include pictures, those kind of things. You know, I, this is why I'm involved with weld.com is trying to help welders at welding things. Um, whether you be an entry level welder or an experienced welder, I just, I want to help as much as possible. And uh, that's why I'm doing this with weld.com. So I appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing from everybody. Um, you know, keep it up. Yep. The forum is weld.com backslash forum, F-O-R-U-M. It'll prompt you to make a weld.com profile. You can just do that. And then you can post videos, pictures, whatever, and you can ask questions. And Dale, the other advisors, and then also just people within the community can all help you out there. So until next time, guys, we will catch you next week on another episode. Have a good one. Have a good one.